Right, so we've got four scenes that we're going to go through today, and you're going to see a, uh, a messy family that likes to take matters into their own hands. Every one of them, okay? So scene one, uh, scene two, scene three, scene four. Scene one is Isaac and his son Esau. Um, so let me just set a little bit, of, let me set the scene here for you. Isaac gets sick enough in his old age that he prepares for the end. That's what's happening here. He can't see well and he feels, he feels old, right? The reality is that he ends up living more than 40 years beyond this sort of scene and this situation, but he must really be feeling it, right? He's got the man flu, so he's like, I'm, I'm on my deathbed. He sends out Esau to prepare food so he can bless him. Um, now, Isaac, you'll notice this in this story. Isaac is a big fan of food. In Genesis 25, 28, it says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, right? So he loved this, this guy, he loved this kid because he could cook a mean feast. So Isaac clearly is a really big fan of food. Um, now, and what's happened earlier, if you remember this story, right? Uh, God covenants to bless Abraham and commits to him, commits to Abraham with spiritual and eternal blessings, and that's passed on throughout the family line. Now, initially, you can see the good intentions, can't you? I'm getting, I'm getting old in age, and I want to pass on my blessing to my children. Um, I, I, I don't want death to come. I know that death is coming, so I'll do what I have to. I'll do what I have to now in order to prepare uh, for later. Um, but wait a second, you say. I thought that there was a prophecy at the start of these guys' lives that actually set the precedent for what was going to happen there. In chapter 25, right? Then the Lord said to her, this is mum, to Rebecca, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. So there's a reality there, there's a prophecy that's already been spoken about these children that this family is aware of. And not only that, but Esau had already sold his birthright to Jacob. So there's already an exchange there. The point here was that um, Isaac intended to bless Esau rather than Jacob. So whether that was ignorance or forgetfulness or unbelief in the prophecy that God had given Rebekah, his wife, Isaac was being governed by natural affection, right? Dad is taking matters into his own hands. That's, you, don't, you often don't even consider that part of the story, right? The fact that dad has actually called his elder son in and said, I'm gonna, I want you to prepare a feast for me because I'm going to bless you. Right? This is what makes most sense to me. Surely this is the way. This is the logical plan. It's plain as day. Uh, and this is the way that we respond at times, isn't it? Like That's the way that we respond. The spirit tells us one thing and our flesh tells us another and we call the flesh wisdom or logic or rational. And we, just like Isaac, we ignore God's word. I need a large financial security net. We need to protect our children from bad influences. I need to be careful how people perceive me so I maintain my influence with them. So we don't take risks, we don't take risks for, for the gospel. Our family isn't on mission for fear of corruption. And, uh, and we can't carry the true gospel message to those around us because we're scared of offending people. But the good intentions sound really good, don't they? Now, I'm not denying wisdom. However, the wisdom of God is not the same as the wisdom of man. 
1 Corinthians 3, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Let us follow God's word as our primary guide and not the wisdom of man. Scene two, Rebecca and Isaac. Rebecca hears uh, this little interchange between dad and son and she has a conversation with uh, her other son, Jacob, and, uh, and she remembers in her mind the words that God spoke to her, right? The older shall serve the younger. She's, she's remembering this uh, uh, prophecy that she's had from an early age. God has said it shall be so, therefore Rebecca resolves it shall be so. And she can't bear to see her husband planning to thwart uh, this prophecy, Again, think about this. The intention is really good. God has given me this, this promise and this prophecy uh, and God has spoken so it will happen. And then mom takes matters into her own hands. I have to do something about this. She sends Jacob into action to stop Isaac. All right, Jacob, I need you to go kill a couple of young goats. And what we're going to do is we're going to try and I'm going to cook up a feast and I'm going to mimic the taste of wild game, probably venison, right? So I'm going to go and kill some and I'm going to cook up and I'm going to put my secret herbs and recipe in there and, and herbs and spices and I'm going to make dad think that it's wild game. And then you're also, I'm going to dress you up in Esau's best clothes so you're going to smell like your brother um, and then we're going to use the skin of those goats and we're going to line your, your arms and, and, a, and a part of your neck. So when your dad, you know, when your dad embraces you and he holds you, um, it's going to feel like your brother. Now, you are, you are rough indeed when nothing less than goat skin will be enough to re- resemble your skin, right? Like, you are a rough man. I mean, just go easy on the macho, right? Like, that's, uh, that's full on. Now, you should be really concerned at this stage, right? When you, when you hear this conversation that Rebecca's having. Now some, you know, you hear the, the scheming and you hear the, the, the planning there. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, this, this happens every holidays, Matt. Like, welcome to family, right? Uh, something goes down in every family. If you haven't experienced that yet, then um, the people you're living with probably aren't your family. I don't know. I, I'm not sure, but it happens in every family. Um, now, now, listen to this. It wasn't wrong to deprive Esau of the blessing because he'd already forfeited it. He'd already sold his birthright. Like That was already done and dusted. But it was very wrong to deceive Jacob. And, uh, sorry, to lead Jacob to deceive Isaac. It was very wrong. He was taking, she, she, wife, was taking advantage of her husband in his old age and in his sickness um, and misleading her son, teaching and equipping her son to deceive her husband. Now, now if she had heard this exchange and gone in humility and reminded her husband of God's promise, you remember what God promised us, right? And reminded him of the fact that Esau had sold his birthright anyway and he'd married foreign wives, then we don't know, but there's an opportunity that Isaac would have blessed Jacob. There's an opportunity there, at least, if she'd gone in humility and said, honey, do you remember what God promised us? You remember what his word is to us? 
and it would have been remembered favorably throughout history, wouldn't it? People would have looked back throughout history and, and, and praised her. But no, instead she chooses to lead her son in deception and does so wholeheartedly. Do you hear her words when Jacob responds? She says to him, let your curse be on me. This is how committed I am to taking matters into my own hands. If something goes wrong, let your curse fall upon me. And now notice Jacob's response, right? It wasn't any better at all. He wasn't concerned about whether to do it or not. He was just concerned about getting caught. All right? There was no guilt. There was only fear in Jacob's response. And God lets them to their actions, doesn't he? God, God allows them to proceed and he leaves them to their actions that he might have the glory ultimately of bringing good out of evil, right? And reminding his people that he, he serves his own purposes by the sins of men, by the folly of men. He ultimately governs the affairs of man. Listen to Job 12. There's a, there's a beautiful um, connection here. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. They are all God. They all belong to God and he will use them to accomplish his purposes as he will. Scene three. Um, Jacob goes into his father and he takes this meal and he's dressed up and he's got this animal on him. He's got this disguise um, and dad just questions and questions and questions and uh, then eventually blesses him. Um, look at the level of deception here, right? Just over and over again. Jacob is taking matters into his own hands. Who are you, my son? Dad asks. I am Esau, your firstborn. And just, just think about this statement for a moment. I am Esau, your firstborn. What he lies about here is he lies about his identity. Why does that matter? Well, so dad asks him, who are you? Who are you, my son? Why do you... Sorry, who do you say that you are to others? Why is this so important? Do you, do you puff yourself up? Do you veil yourself behind a false identity? The, the irony of this big statement here is that he already had Esau's birthright. So to say that he was Esau was actually to say that I'm not the blessed one, that I'm actually the one without the birthright. So to, to make a statement like that is like, you realize how dumb that you sound right now? Like you realize the folly in that statement? Dad's asking who you are and you're saying, oh, I'm the brother who was dumb enough to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup. It's like, Jacob, Jacob, what is going on? What's going on here? And isn't this true for us as well? Like we already have everything that we could ever want in Christ, yet for some reason we strive to be more. Can we be content in being God's beloved children? But people ask us, who are you? And we strive to be all of these other things. How, who are you, my son? I am Esau, your firstborn. And dad is just like, I mean, that really sounds like my other son. Like, I mean, I'm pretty sick, but that really sounds like Jacob. But he goes on and, and he says, how are you so quick? And Jacob's response, well, God granted me success. Ouch. Right, using God's name and reputation for personal gain. Like, I mean, this 
What depth of deception. We're in pretty dangerous territory now. Not Jacob's deception of Isaac here. This is really Jacob's self-deception. It isn't enough to doubt God's promise and to deceive your father, but to lie and say that God had granted you success, right? Like it's not just enough to doubt that God was coming through and that God would fulfill his promises, but actually to lie and say, well, no, this is actually the pathway that God has ordained for me. This is actually the success that God has for me. God has told me that this is the right thing to do. Right? God's confirmed this. And everyone else is going, it looks like sin. It really looks like you're taking matters in your own hands. And you're saying, no, 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 no. God has confirmed this is what is right for me to do. God's blessed this. God is uh, showing his support in this. I, I, I know. God is calling you to sin. I mean, really? Like, are you sure about that? Isn't this true of us, though, as well? I feel like God has given me this as an, as an escape to my trouble. Ah, so those idols, I mean, I mean, he's just fine with those other idols that you're just glorifying in because you're not really willing to face your trouble and, and the tension of life. I feel, like, uh, I feel like God's releasing me from this marriage. Right? Think about the, the, the things that we hear. Really? Like, I mean, you, you really think that? We, tri- we twist the truth of God to suit our own realities. And 1 Corinthians 10 is, is very clear to us. Let, sorry, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The deception continues. Come close so I can touch you. And Isaac goes near and dad touches him and, and feels uh, the skin. And then finally he asks him, are you really Esau? Like son... I'm, I'm really confused right now and I just, want you to be, I just want you to be honest with me. Are you really Esau? And Jacob, he's really committed now. I am. Three times Isaac voiced suspicion but Jacob's deceit gets the better of him. So he blesses Jacob with uh, plenty and with power and with prevalency with God. So prosperity of crops, dominion of other nations and... Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. Yet, God would work through their conniving. Their, their activities, this, this story, only succeeds in fulfilling what God had predicted, right? What, God had, what God's uh, oracle had, had predicted. God's uh, uh, plans will triumph often in spite of human activities. Last scene. As soon as Isaac finishes this blessing, Esau comes home, he's cooked up a meal, he goes in to dad and, uh, and everything's uncovered, right? And it just explodes. Um, so so he, he returns um, and they have this conversation, right? He comes in with a meal and he's like, dad, um, here's your meal. Uh, where's, where's the blessing? You know, let's, let's do this. And, uh, and Isaac, listen to the words there, right? Trembles very violently, realizing the deceit. Can you feel that? Like, that's not really a hear word. That's sort of a feel word. You, you can feel how, uh, how, how uh, concerning this is. And then Esau, in response to that, listen to the, the description there, cries out an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And later lifts up his voice and wept. 
But notice in all of that uh, pain, Isaac's response here though. Because Esau begs and begs for a blessing, right? Is it to be so? Is it really to be so? Do you have something for me? And Isaac's response, yes, and he shall be blessed. And later, what then can I do for you, my son? What? My hands are tied, right? I can do no more. And, and I think the, the reality of Isaac's situation here is that he knew that he'd been tampering with God's plan and it had been overruled. There was no going back, right? I have given my blessing. And in, in, that, in that context, right, that's like writing a will. Like this deathbed statement is like, that's my will. It's done and dusted. It is, a, it is gone and there's no going back now. Again, think about the irony here. Esau had already sold his birthright. What are you worried for? I mean, the deal was done years ago, man. Like, you, you gave up on that. Those who make light of the covenantal blessings will later seek them in vain. Let me give you a few reflections on, on this story uh, as we close. Um, in, in a sense... In this story, Rebecca and Jacob won, though they gained nothing that God would, would not have given them anyway, right? And they lost a lot. They didn't get anything extra for, for taking matters into their own hands. They didn't gain anything that God wouldn't have already given them because he had promised it and God will fulfill his word. But they did lose a lot, right? After this, the story goes on with, with Jacob Uh, fleeing to a relative's house in search of a wife, right? Uh, Mum cries out about the fact that, oh, I don't want my son marrying any of these local women, um, these these ungodly women here, so we better send our son Jacob um, to our relatives. And dad goes, yeah, that's a good idea, not knowing that his brother wants to kill him, right? So mum, again, some more deceit, gets Jacob out of there and sends him off to the relatives, and yet God blesses him anyway. On this journey in Genesis 28, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. What is that? <laughs> what is that, right? Like, did you, did you see what just happened, God? Did you notice the corruption in this family and the sin against each other and, and the control? Uh, it's like, man, God loved undeserving Jacob to demonstrate that God as God, right, in who God is, can love anyone He chooses. He is sovereign. In the same way that God chose Jacob before he was ever born, God chooses everyone who ever becomes one of His kids. We do not come into the world looking for God. We are born like sheep, each of us turning to our own way. And if God had not sought us, before we sought Him, if God had not called to us and and come for us, none of us would ever seek Him. 
That is, that is what is true for us. If God hadn't chosen us before we chose him, none of us would ever choose him. This is the gospel. That's the picture of the gospel right there. This is how salvation can be free. God did not choose us because of anything we have done or will do. God didn't choose Jacob because of, I mean, like that's, that's deadly obvious, isn't it? It's like God's not looking at Jacob's story and he's like, man, you just, you just really knocked that out of the park. Well done on tricking your dad. Well done on betraying your brother. Well done on, on following your mom into sin. I mean, I'm, that is just top stuff. That's where, I want, that's where I want my son. That's the line that I want my son, Jesus, to be born into. That's the kind of family I'm looking for. No. Whether or not an individual or a family belongs to God is ultimately God's decision. And thank God for that. Because if, if we are anything like Isaac and his family, and I think we've sort of reflected on the fact that today we are, and we've seen that, we've seen that we are, then we do not want to depend on our own works or our own wills, but on God who shows mercy. May God do what he will with his own. Um, Romans 9 picks up on this story and it's really confronting but it establishes this God-centered reality. The last three weeks in Genesis have been about reminding us that, that the, all of life, that the reality that we live in is a God-centered reality. It's not about us, right? Creation is about the fact that there is a creator. We are his creation, Right? Think about the relationship that that establishes immediately. The flood established for us the fact that God is sovereign. He is over and above the affairs of men and he will do what he likes with them. And then last week, Abraham, the story of Abraham is, uh, is establishes that God covenants. That in, even within those two huge realities that God actually comes down and covenants with his people. Listen to this in Romans 9 that picks up on this story. Romans 9 verse 10, And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not born yet and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Verse 15, this is key. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God. On God who has mercy. This story is a demonstration of God's grace. Right, Because you look at this family and every step of the way, they're just messing up. And they're, mess- and, they're, and they're turning away from God and they're rebelling and they're taking matters into their own hands and they're sinning. And God shows mercy to them. And, he, and he, he speaks to Jacob and he chooses him. Now you might read that account and you might protest and you might say, that's not fair. It isn't fair that God would choose Jacob and not Esau. It isn't fair that God permitted those schemes to work. Jacob ought to be in trouble. And we would be correct. That isn't, it isn't fair. That is true. It's not fair. 
What would have been fair is that God destroyed all of them. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Rebekah and they all were destroyed. That's what was fair. And it would be fair for God to destroy all of us as well. If we want to play the fair game, that's what's fair. For there's a little bit of Jacob in all of us, isn't there? And sometimes a bit more than a little bit. Perhaps it comes out in different ways, but there's a con man and a spin doctor and a cheater and a greedy heart in each of us. And the wages of sin is death. When we are thinking clearly, we really don't want God to treat us fairly. When we have clarity about this, we do not want what is fair. Rather, what do we want? We want grace. We want mercy. When we see with clarity that that is the true reality of all of humanity, what's the thing that we cry out for? We don't cry out for justice. We cry out for grace. God, would you grant me grace? And thank God that he has, right? We look to Jesus and we see the perfect picture of grace so that whoever believes in him shall not perish like you ought to, but you shall have eternal life. Have you believed in the Son of God? Towards the end of the story, Jacob realizes this. Jacob sees, he has a little glimpse of clarity, right? And he sees this movement. And in Genesis 32, he says this, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. I am not worthy. That, all of that, that was grace. Because I stuffed up time and time and time again. I'm not worthy of that. But you extended grace to me. Jesus, let's finish with the gospel reality within this story, is that Jesus restores family. That is, that is true for all of us today in Christ, that in our own messy uh, lives and in our own messy families, that Jesus is the one who restores us. We don't want justice. We really want grace. And we find that in Christ. He is the older brother who gives us his clothes to wear. Isn't he? Right? He says, I've done everything that was needed to be done. Come and wear my righteousness. Come and wear my robes and stand before the Father and receive his blessing. That's, that's who Christ is to us. And where, where Rebecca says in sin and deceit, let your curse be on me, Christ says it in, perfer- in perfection. Let your curse be on me. And it kills him. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, and so in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us, right? This story finds its fulfillment in Christ. Let your curse be on me. I'm going to die and I'm going to be cursed for you. I'm going to become a curse so that you can be reconciled to God. So that you can receive the blessings that I originally promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to all of your forefathers. So we cling to Christ today. 
I want to finish um, by reading, a, um, by reading a, uh, a chapter from Isaiah. If you'd like to stand, I'd love to read this chapter together and then I'll, I'll close in, in prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence, when you did awesome things that we did not look for. You came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and you've made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent, silent and afflict us so terribly? Isaiah 64. Holy Spirit, would you help us to see clearly our condition this morning? That we here are, more, are far more like Jacob and Isaac and Rebecca and Esau than we ought to admit. We are far more uh, deceitful uh, or deceptive and, and uh, cunning and we're, and we're far more lying and betraying than we like to think that we are. But at the same, in the same moment, God, would you help us to see that you are far more gracious and far more merciful, that your love, your steadfast love is far, far deeper than we ever thought. That in our state of sinfulness, just like our forefathers, in our state of rebellion and sinfulness where we're taking matters into our own hands, you come down to us. And you choose us to be a part of your family. You say, you, I want you to be in my family. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, and I'm going to adopt you into my family, an eternal family where you're going to be made new. You're going to be made, remade into who you're truly meant to be. We thank you for your mercy, God. Please help us to take hold of it. Help us to see it today. Amen. Be blessed.